Well, good morning. Uh, we are excited to be here. Uh, I'll be honest, it's a little bit weird now that we've started this uh, relaunch in-person thing. Uh, I'm a bit nervous, um, mostly because over the last three months, I have felt like I've been funnier than ever. Um, felt like I've made more sense than ever. I would tell a joke and just assume it was funny, so that was pretty nice. So I'm really hoping that uh, that holds true. So uh, thank you so much for your patience and going through this whole process of the pandemic and all of that. Hey, Reagan, is there any way we could bring the ha ha ha? There's people. I want to actually see you out there. So, uh, so thank you for being patient as we kind of figure our way through all of this. We know that everything keeps changing, um, and we couldn't agree more. It seems like the details are just always evolving. We had pretty much everything in place that we needed to have. We were following all the guidelines moving into this week um, in terms of what it would look like to have people back in the room. And then early this week, we got more updates on things that had to happen. So we were trying to make sure we hit all of those things. And um, so thanks for being here. We're confident we've got everything in place that's supposed to help keep you safe. And so we just appreciate you being gracious um, as we approach and find kind of the the process through this in this ever-changing environment. So thanks for being here. Thanks so much for joining us online. We're thrilled that you're here in whatever capacity you are. Um, as Jacob mentioned this morning, we are kicking off a new series called Follow the Leader. And my hope through this is that we would begin to see that as followers of Jesus, our goal should become to be more and more like him. That, that we would pay attention to how he moved through his life. That we would watch and see how he responded to the different situations that he encountered, and then we would do the same. That we would watch how Jesus treated those that he engaged with, and then we would engage similarly. Really, for us, it's our responsibility, if we claim that we love him, if we've chosen to accept the forgiveness that he's offered, if we're striving, we should be striving to follow our leader. Now, oftentimes we hear why Jesus came. We talk from time to time that, that the reason that Jesus came is that he came so that we could have life to the full, that we would have an abundant life. We talk that Jesus came so that he didn't come just for the righteous, he didn't come for the righteous, he came for sinners. We talk about the why Jesus came, that Jesus came that he would give us, that he would give up his life, that he would pay his life on the cross and die for our sins. We read that the, why Jesus came. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the reasons why Jesus came, there's, there's many of them, and they're amazing, and, and really all of the reasons boil down to the fact that Jesus came. The reason why he came was to introduce us to the love of the Father. But as we kick off this series, what I want us to see is not, not so much why he came, but how he came. What, it, what did it look like? Within the why for Jesus coming, how did he come? One of the accounts of Jesus' life was written down by a guy by the name of Luke. And in the, in the book of Luke, Luke gives us a very simple description of how Jesus came and what it looked like as he came into the world and what it looked like as he loved people. Luke chapter 7 says this. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. In fact, we read that Jesus came eating and drinking so much he did so much eating and drinking that he was actually accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. I mean, that's a lot of eating and drinking. And, and there's some of you that you never realized you had so much in common with Jesus. <laughs> that he came eating and drinking to the point that he was a drunkard, or they considered him to be a drunkard and a glutton. And so oftentimes we point to why Jesus came, but, but rarely do we stop and see how did he come. 
And how he came was he came eating and drinking. And it's important, we're not, this isn't about just eating and drinking, but, but how did he do that and what did it look like? And so during this series, we want to look and see, and we're going to talk about how we as a church have been trying to follow our leader in the way that we love through missions. Missions locally and missions globally through El Salvador. We want to see how Jesus loved through forgiveness and how that looked and how we can model, follow his modeling of that. We're going to talk about how Jesus loved with irrational acts of service. Now, we all recognize that we are certainly in a very unique moment in the history of our world and a unique moment in the history of our lives. I was watching TV the, TV the other night, and in the show, um, the individual walked into a restaurant, and the restaurant was crowded with people. And they were trying to find somebody, and, and I remember I was, I was watching the show, and as they were walking through the restaurant, and there was all kinds of people, it actually looked strange to me. I was like, well, that's weird. I had to actually give some thought to the process of, of what does it feel like to show up at a restaurant and, and to put your name in for a table and then wait for them to call your name and then, then be walked, it, walked and seated at your table and then handed a menu and then place an order. Like, I, it was so foreign, I had to think that through. I mean, you just go back a couple months. I mean, you remember that process of, of going out with a family or going out with your friends. Like, that was a regular part of life. And in that process, we were sharing a meal together. That was a normal thing. And it's great that that's starting to kind of pick back up again, and it's going to take a little bit of time for that to become normal again. But when Jesus was alive, while Jesus was on earth, he spent lots of lots and lots of his time breaking bread with people. Now, if if that term breaking bread is a a new term for you, basically breaking bread is sort of an old-fashioned churchy word for saying that Jesus would eat meals together. So, so to break bread meant that you were going to sit down and engage in a very serious meal. Now, saying breaking bread um, has sort of been destroyed because of the revolutionary discovery of sliced bread. Um, there is no, you don't have to break it anymore. It comes pre-broken. So now we just sit and eat. But in the New Testament, what we discover is that, that a meal was so much more than just something to enjoy. A meal was so much more than just food tasting good. We actually have a a chef in the room this morning, and he is good about making the food taste amazing. But I would think that if you talk to a chef, it's not just about making the food taste amazing. It's about creating this experience where people would be together. And it wasn't just about the nutrition. It was about the experience and meals in the time of Jesus. They would last for hours. Sometimes meals would take days. And meals were this time where you would invite the people that you love to come together and and grow in your relationship. Or if there were people that you didn't know and you wanted to get to know them better, you would have a meal together and those relationships would deepen and that connection would get stronger. There was literally a divine nature to a meal. It was a chance to connect. It was a chance to grow in that relationship. And so when Jesus broke bread, when Jesus ate with people, he was establishing those relationships. And if you know the story, the night before Jesus was betrayed and before he would be nailed on the cross, he was sitting with his closest friends and and he was breaking bread and they were enjoying a meal together. And then Jesus literally painted a picture for us of what it ultimately meant for him to, to give up his body. And he took some bread and he broke it and he said, listen, I want you to eat this and I want you to remember what I've done for you and eat this bread. 
And he passed around some juice, and he's like, I want you to drink this, and I want you to remember my blood that is shed for you, and I want you to remember my body. As he broke that bread, I want you to remember my body that was given for you. So meals were critical to Jesus. And when this verse tells us that Jesus was eating and drinking, what we need to realize is that ultimately Jesus loved by living life with people. Again, during this period of time when Jesus was living, people believed that, that when you experienced God's best, it typically happened while you were eating a meal with other people. It was in that process of being together and sharing a meal where you could really connect with God. And when we look at the book of Revelation, when we look at, the, when we look at heaven, there are all kinds of banquets that are going to happen. There's a lot of time where we eat and drink together. Heaven's going to be an amazing time. And again, so many of the first century believers believe that you experience God best in the context of community, in breaking bread together, in living life together. So today, what I hope to do is sort of take this concept of, of breaking bread and this idea of, as a church, connecting. And sometimes if you've been in church for a while, you've heard words like fellowship, words like community. At Silver Creek, we choose to use the word connect, because that's our goal, is that we would connect together. And we are at a point in history with all of this stuff and pandemic and social distancing, we're connecting. It's going to take some effort. But when we connect, it allows those of us that are following Jesus to emulate who he is and connect with others and bring them through the process of our life and love them through living life together. One of the most famous stories of Jesus, and oftentimes it's, it's highlighted when it's his first miracle. But really, in this story, it confirms again that Jesus came eating and drinking. And what it shows is that Jesus came to love people by living life alongside of people. The story comes in the book of John. Here's how the story goes. It says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, at this point in Jesus' life, he's a grown man. Like, he's not living at home. I mean, he's 30 years old. He's out on his own. He started his time of ministry. Um, we've read about how he's gone out. He's been recruiting his team. He's got the guys. They're all with him. I mean, they got big plans. They've got a message they're about to take to the world. The to-do list is growing rapidly. They're about to launch their new product line. It's like a life model that they're about to introduce for the new... It's like, we got to go, right? Like, we, he's got three years. Going to a wedding doesn't seem like it would fit getting all of those things done. Especially in that culture. In that culture, weddings and then the celebration after, it would last for days. I mean, if it was a really good wedding, it might take a week. Now, in my family, uh, Julie and our boys, we got two boys and a girl, Julie and the boys, they like going to weddings. Myself and my daughter, were not so much, because they, they like going to the wedding, and the wedding's great, but then they love the reception. They like the good food, and the tasty beverages, and the dancing, and they're like, yeah, let's do it, let's, you know. For me, I go to a wedding, and as soon as, like, the I do's, and you may kiss the bride, I'm like, we're out. <laughs> Even when I'm officiating the wedding, I'm like, kiss her, I gotta go. I just, my family, are, they're like social butterflies, and I'm like a social caterpillar. I'm like, slowly gonna go if I can get out of here without anybody noticing. But for Jesus, he's like, I gotta be at the wedding. Not only is he gonna bring, be at the wedding, he's gonna bring all of the guys that he's rallied around him to be his disciples. I mean, for the next three years, these guys are gonna be with Jesus, and right off the bat, he is setting up the example that life is important, and we're gonna live life with people. 
I mean, Jesus is filling out his RSVP, and he's like, Jesus plus 12. They're all coming. They're all coming, you know. These boys are going to eat, so you better have some food, right? But they were loving these people that were getting married. They were demonstrating their love of them by taking the time to show up and that they valued them. And then the party, if you know the story, they actually run out of wine. I mean, this is a good party. And Jesus' mother knows her son so well and knows what, his son, what her son is all about. She tells the host, she's like, hey, go, go talk to Jesus. He can fix the problem. And Jesus ends up saving the day by taking a bunch of large barrels of water and he miraculously turns them into wine and it's some of the best wine that people had ever tasted. Here's how the story wraps up. It says, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. Jesus came eating and drinking and loving along the way. He didn't have to attend the wedding, but he loved people, so he attended. And Jesus didn't have to help solve the problem by the lack of wine, but he loved the people, and so he created wine so the party could continue. He didn't have to make the best wine they had ever tasted, but because he loved the groom and he loved the host, he's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to dial this up and everybody's going to think, man, this guy knows what he's doing. And he loved people so much that he came and in the process of eating and drinking, he cared for people and he connected with people and he honored all of those at the wedding and demonstrated he loved them by his attendance and by the way that he treated them. And so today what I want us to, want us to see, I want us to see the example of our leader I want us to follow the lead of Jesus and see what it looks like in our life. And I think there's three different ways that you and I can learn to love. And it happens when you and I begin to understand and see how we can extend the love of Jesus by living life with others and what it can look like. And oftentimes when we think about loving others and, and engaging in life with others, we try to make it really complicated on what that's going to look like. Sometimes we really struggle like, well, how am I going to love people with a different worldview than me? We might even think, how am I going to love and live life with people that have a different political opinion than me? How am I going to live life and love people that have a different personality type than me? How am I going to live life and love people that have wronged me? How am I going to live life and love people that cheer for the 49ers? Like, there are some tough, tough things to deal with. Sometimes we just aren't sure how to extend that love. But if you and I are truly going to live a life where we care about people, where we love people, where we're following our leader, we have to figure out how to care, we have to figure out how to connect, we have to figure out how to honor those so that we can love like Jesus. I think there's three specific ways that we can do this in our life. And the first way that we can extend love of Jesus is by living life with those who need to be restored. This is probably the hardest one. So let's just get it out of the way first. Because there are going to be people in our lives, there's going to be that, that individual that, that we cared about, that, that we invested in, that we love them, and then maybe they let us down. Maybe they disappointed us. Maybe they hurt us in some way. We have to still figure out how to love life, to love them, and live life alongside of them. I mean, this is exactly what happened to Jesus with one of his closest friends. 
One of Jesus' closest friends, his buddy by the name of Peter, always the loudmouth, always making bold claims, always telling Jesus, man, I will stand up for you, I will defend you. Jesus, I will die for you. And then the night that Jesus was arrested and leading into his death, Jesus gets fal- falsely accused of all these charges, and somebody comes up to Peter and says, hey, didn't, didn't, you knew Jesus, right? And he's like, I, I don't know him. And you would think, if you're Peter, when that happens the first time, you're like, not going to happen again. It is not going to happen again. I am not, it is not, I'm probably just kicking himself. Pull it together, pull it together, pull it together. Don't do it again. Somebody's like, hey, don't you know Jesus? He's like, nope, 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 nope. Dang it, I did it again. And he's hanging out and hanging out, and somebody comes up, hey, aren't you one of his friends? And I think the way that we can read that is he's like, heck no, I never met the guy. I don't know the guy at all. Now, clearly, this should be a bit of a problem for Jesus and Peter, right? Like, that should be a pretty rough divide in their relationship. For Jesus, he is in the darkest, deepest moment of his life, and one of his closest friends is like, I don't know the guy. Like, this is kind of a big miss on Peter's part. But then there's this absolutely amazing moment shortly after Jesus comes back to life, after he defeats death. It's in the book of John. Here's how the story goes. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? I think it's fine. I don't know. I couldn't really figure it out, but that's a weird way. He's a little bit mocking them, I feel like. (laughs) Any, nope, no fish, right? Anyway, uh, no, they answered, in fact. And, and at this moment, when he yells this out, and, he said, and then he says, he said, throw your nets on the, other, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And as they start to pull in the nets, as they start to recognize, that all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's Jesus. Because it's happened before. Like this exact same thing pretty much happened before. And all of a sudden, as the nets are full of the fish, they're like, it's, it's Jesus. Guys we should remember this. He's asked us this question before, and suddenly they're like trying to pull in the nets and row in the boats, and they're trying to row, and Peter, Peter totally just loses his mind, and he jumps in the water, and he starts swimming, and he must have been a fast swimmer, because I got to imagine they're rowing the boat faster than the swimmer. You know, like, I can imagine as they're passing Peter, they're like, well, I don't know why you swam, but anyway, he's swimming. He's swimming. He's swimming. He gets to the shore, and then the story wraps up like this. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. And some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now, if we read ahead of this, it was Peter's idea to go fishing. And until Jesus shows up, it's a total bust. No fish. I mean, before Jesus shows up, the other guys are probably like, this is the dumbest thing, Peter. We haven't caught fish all morning. And now Jesus has just totally restored the situation. Jesus didn't owe Peter anything. Really, if Jesus owed Peter anything, what he owed Peter, Peter deserved a lecture. Peter might have even deserved a guilt trip. Some sort of a lecture that goes along, well, never do that to your friend. But what Jesus decided to do was love Peter and make it possible for them to have breakfast together. And Jesus turned this idea of Peter's to go fishing, he turned it into a good one. Jesus is like, hey, let's, let's, let's break bread together. Let's cook some fish together. Jesus is like, Let, let's get back to where we, we're living life together, where you know that I love you. 
And they hung out by the fire and they had a conversation. And and Jesus restores the relationship and brings it back to where it had been. And Jesus was making this choice to love Peter by living life together, by eating together. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know who it is in your relationship sphere. I don't know. It might even be somebody you don't know. You just know you don't like them. And my hope is that, that Jesus would bring somebody to your mind, a situation to your mind, where you would decide that it's time to start loving someone that needs to be restored. A situation where you hold the power to make it happen. Where we can extend the love of Jesus to a person and simply say, hey, how do I break bread with you? How do I restore what this could be? And Jesus did it in such a way that he loved those and lived life along those that needed to be restored. The next way that Jesus demonstrated in the way that you and I can follow our leader is to extend love by living life with those that you care about. And this is a great one, but sometimes we feel guilty about this. Because we look at our life and we see all the things that need to be done in life. We see all the ways that, that we can serve around church and the projects at our house and the projects that we need to work on and the bills that need to get paid and the people that need to be helped. And we hear about people that don't have friends and that are needy. We feel, hear about people that need to be reached out to. And all of those things are true and all of those things are important and that we, we need to not ignore people that are lonely and we need to offer assistance to those that are in need. But also we need to love those that we care about. And live life alongside of those that are close to us. And make sure that we're living life with them. There's this another, another story that, that usually focuses on the response of these two sisters later on in the story. But I want you to see a very simple truth in the book of Luke. It reads this way. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they're going somewhere else. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Jesus and the guys, they're on their way. Like, they got stuff to do. They have somewhere to go. Their schedule is tight, right? They got things people are expecting. Martha's house wasn't the destination. They're an important crew. Lots of people wanted their attention. Lots of people wanted the focus of Jesus. In other parts of the Bible, we read that that Jesus and Martha and Mary, they're good friends. Way before Jesus became a big deal, They likely used to hang out. Their their families might have been friends. Jesus liked them. He enjoyed being around them. He loved Martha and Mary. But rather than just rushing through to the next place, getting to his next speaking engagement, Jesus spent some time at Martha's house, and they had a meal together. And again, meals weren't this fast thing where you just, quick bite, gotta go. Probably laughed and relived some old times. And hey, Jesus, remember when you did that thing? discuss life. So what we have to be careful about doing and what we have to recognize is that we can't get so caught up in life that we forget to live it with those that we care about. It means as a pastor, I can't feel bad when I, when I go on vacation and spend time with my family and be afraid. I can't be afraid to get away and leave the church. I'm like, oh, it'll fall apart. No, 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 it'll be fine. Others can manage. It'll survive. But what we have to recognize is that for me, I'm the only person that gets to be my wife's husband. I'm the only person that gets to be my kid's father. I'm the only person that gets to be my friend's friend. You're the only person that gets to be the play, the role that you're in in those situations. So certainly I need to care about the church, and you need to care about your job, and we need to manage our house, and we need to 
do the projects and pay the bills. But in doing all of those things, we have to be careful that we don't miss out on loving and caring about those that we need to be living life with and those that are close to us and that Jesus has put in our lives and to extend love to those that we care about and live life with them. Also, when it comes to extending love by living life with people, it happens where we do it with those that are looking to know him. And as individuals, as people, we were created in the image of God. And a critical part of being created in the image of God was the ability to have a relationship, to know others, to be in connection with them. And in the process of needing relationship, we have to begin to recognize that, that we have to find those, and that in the process, we can begin to know those that don't know him. And most of us kind of get the idea that we need a relationship. I mean, even those of us that are really grumpy, that act like we don't like people, or some big tough guy that is like, oh, I don't need people, or, or people that have been really hurt by people and they try to protect themselves by keeping people away. Deep down, we all know that we need some relationships, that we long for relationships. And so, some of us, we don't need lots of relationships, but we have a hunger for relationships. It's built within us to desire that, to need those human connections. And at the same time of needing those human connections, we are designed and we are desperately craving a relationship with God until we find it. And until we find that connection, until we establish that relationship, there will be something missing in our lives. Now, you've probably had that moment in your life where you, you got thirsty doing something, you were working in the yard, or you're out exercising, or doing whatever, and all of a sudden your, your mouth just starts to get dry, and your lips start to get chapped, and it's like you're choking on your own tongue, and if somebody came and said, would you like a soda, or would you like some coffee, or would you like some milk, you're like, nothing will work, I just need water. And we become desperate for that water, and nothing else is going to take care of that. And there is that moment for each person in their life where they begin to realize they're missing that connection, that relationship with God, and that's the thing that they desire and need the most. And when we begin to realize that, that there's nothing greater than that, then we begin to recognize the value for us to create connections with other people that don't yet know Jesus so that in that moment where they become desperate to know him, where they become desperate to meet Jesus, that someone is now in their life that can begin to say, oh, oh you, need to need, you want to meet Jesus? Let me point you that direction. And because we never know when a person might reach that point of desperation, there's tremendous value for us to begin developing relationships with people that don't yet know him. In the Bible, there's this amazing story, and if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard it a thousand times because everybody loves to tell this story. But there was this guy that reached a point of desperation to know Jesus. The, book, the story is in the book of Luke. It says this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Basically, what this is pointing out is that he has tried a lot of different things to fill the, the void of Jesus. He's tried his career, he's tried money, he's got lots of things, but he still needed that relationship. He's essentially risen to the top of his field. Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, which means Zacchaeus is the boss. Zacchaeus calls the shots. He's done everything right, and now he's wealthy, and he's got the nicest house around. He's probably driving one of those new high-powered electronic donkeys. Like, he has got, you know, he's got the stuff. He's probably got some servants. He's probably got people taking care of his house. He probably doesn't have any friends. I mean, if you've ever met somebody that works for the IRS, 
in those first moments, you're like, I don't like you until you prove to me that I should, right? I don't even know you, but I'm not gonna, you, nobody likes taxes. We don't like taxes now. They didn't like taxes back then. So the people that are collecting the taxes automatically are bad. And back then when they were collecting taxes, not only would they collect taxes because they had all the power, they would, they would upcharge the taxes and they would take more from the people and they would put the extras in their pocket. So when it adds that he was wealthy, everybody knew the reason he was wealthy is because he was taking stuff off the top. Zacchaeus has a lot of things going, but he's missing something. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I cannot remember the last time I've ever been driving down the road or, or in a community and seen a rich guy go running by. And not, just, not a rich guy in running shorts and tennis shoes, but like a rich guy all like looking like a rich guy. Like with a suit and tie. Have you ever seen a guy with a suit and tie go running ahead of the crowd? Like when's the last time you saw a rich guy all, you know, dapper and looking good and like running for a table? Like you don't. And now this rich guy is running ahead. It had to be a scene. And not only does this rich guy, who happens to be the boss, run out ahead, then he climbs a tree. Have you seen your boss climb a tree? I mean, this is a desperate man who's looking for an answer. He needs an answer, and he's not sure what it is. And this desperate man knows that he needs an answer. He's not even really sure what he's looking for. He thinks that Jesus might be the answer. Keep reading. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, to, looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And Jesus does it again. Jesus, in this moment, sees a person that is desperately in need of his love, that needed a connection. And Jesus responds by living life with him. I say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's have a meal together. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's, let's go hang out. And Jesus gives Zacchaeus a spot in his life that was so valuable in that culture. Everybody wanted to have a meal together. In fact, all the people that are watching, so many of them get upset. They start muttering, oh, there he goes, having dinner with a sinner. All of these people who are ultimately just jealous because they would have given anything to be in Zacchaeus' place. But Jesus recognized that this, this rich tax collector who seemed to have everything else but now sees himself in a tree, is in a tree. This guy is desperate. And so Jesus loved him. And there's those that are in your life that you and I can, be, that you and I can begin loving them as we live life with them. Those in our life that don't yet know him. We can be creating relationships with individuals that are out of relationship with Jesus. And certainly we can't create relationships with every single person at work and every single person at our kids' school and every person at our kids' soccer team or whatever. But not everybody that day had lunch with Jesus. So what we have to do is we have to begin to look around our life and begin to say, Jesus, would you reveal to me who it is that I need to love so that ultimately you can show your love to them? Jesus, would you show me who it is that I need to, to connect with and live life alongside of and begin to live life in such a way that I can love on them? And it's not about creating a relationship with somebody so that you can preach at them or tell them where they're doing things wrong or how they need to change their life. or even It's not even about creating a relationship with somebody so that you can say, and you need Jesus. That's not what Jesus said. He just like, let's have lunch. So it's about 
having a meal, serving on PTA, chatting over the fence with the mask in front if you need to, hanging out with people from your office. It's about realizing that there are people in your life that are desperate to know Jesus. And one of the greatest ways that we can love like Jesus is to live life alongside of those that are desperate for him and maybe don't even know it yet. And in that process, not worry about what other people are saying. Not worry if other people are like, well, there he goes, hanging out with sinners again. I mean, it's not about hanging out with sinners and following what they're doing, but it's about hanging out with people that don't know Jesus for that moment when they become desperate. Because there is so much going on and there are so many people that are exactly in the situation where Zacchaeus was, where they literally are looking to climb a tree so they can see Jesus. And when, the, when our follower demonstrated what, our, what, what we should do as we follow our leader, it was about living life alongside of those that don't know Jesus so that in the moment when they become desperate to see him, we can serve as the tree. That we become the structure that, that literally says, here, here, put your foot right here in my hand. I'm going to lift you up so that you can see Jesus. And life gets so busy, and so oftentimes, because life gets so busy, it gets in the way of people seeing Jesus, and we have the opportunity to say, here, 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 stand right here. And stress gets so great, and so oftentimes, stress gets in the way of people seeing Jesus, and people get in the way of people seeing Jesus. So many things can prevent people from the opportunity to see Jesus, and when you and I choose to live life alongside of those that don't yet know him, we create the opportunity to serve as the tree to serve as the situation where we can say, you know what, just stand on my shoulders so you can see my leader. I want you to see who it is that I'm following. Why it is that I'm loving you the way that I am, because Jesus already demonstrated that. And we have an opportunity to follow our leader and love like Jesus and love on those that don't yet know him. But it requires we have to take initiative, to choose opportunities, to find ways to hang out, to be together, to, to help somebody remodel their deck or figure out ways to have lunch, again, with social distancing and all the things that we've got to do right now. But it doesn't mean we get to stop. Just because the world has got some things that are in the way, we still have to create those connections and love those that need to be restored and love those that we care about and love on those that don't know Jesus yet and respond to the opportunity and the leadership that Jesus demonstrated by loving others, by living life together. And every week, we just challenge you to think through and to take some next steps. And to think through for yourself, what is it that you need to do based on what we've talked about this morning? So for you, as you think about this idea of following our leader, what's your next step? Maybe your next step is to ask God to show you someone that needs to be loved towards restoration. Maybe your next step is to commit to letting someone you care know that they are loved. Maybe your next step is to open your, open your eyes to see those that you can be the tree that enables them to see Jesus. And maybe your next step is to decide that you'll live life with people that don't yet know Jesus. Whatever it is, I would just pray that you would let Jesus speak to you, that you would be challenged, that you would respond, that you would, that you would follow the example of our leader, and that you would love others by living life with them. Let's pray. God, this morning we are just thrilled to be moving forward in, in our opportunity to be together. God, we pray that you would be with each person that's in their home this morning. God, as we worship all in different places and different locations, yet ultimately we are 
We are all worshiping you. We're all listening to you. We all want to be changed and motivated because of your love to live in such a way that we would reflect who you are. Jesus, we desire to follow our leader, and that is you. Help us to continually keep our eyes on you, look to live in the way that you lived, and love those that we have the opportunity to live life with. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.